Brilliant. Oh, front row, come on. Give it up for the pilots. Vase. Oh, there we go. Okay, middle of it. Well done. Good to have you guys. But don't be shy. If you're at the back, you're always welcome to come over here and we can definitely fit ourselves in. Brilliant. So we are continuing in our foundation series and today we're looking at scripture. Is it really God's word? And I think it's so important that we look at this, both if we're Christ followers here today, if we have um, recently given our lives to the Lord, if we're exploring faith, it's important for us to know, do we really believe that this is God's word? And so today we're going to explore the wonder of this beautiful book called the Bible. It's the bestseller every single year. You don't see it on bestseller lists but it is every single year, but it would be a little bit awkward for Amazon and others to just have it as number one every single year. People might get frustrated, but it is. Many people say their lives are transformed as they read it. Many people who have been atheists or have believed in a different faith have picked up a Bible because someone asked them to, and as they've read it, they've said our lives have been transformed. So maybe you're exploring faith here today, maybe you don't own a Bible, or maybe you have a very dusty one that sits somewhere in the lounge or the dining room on a bookshelf that a relative gave to you. Maybe that's the case with you. But I want you to know that this is a book like no other. There is power in these pages. There is life-changing power in these pages. They transform, they challenge, they instruct. The words that are written here have shaped cultures and they've shaped legal systems. You might love or detest what it says, but there's no neutral ground when it comes to scripture because this is no ordinary book. And so the first thing I want to look at is does the Bible itself say that it's no ordinary book? People might have that question, but does the Bible actually say there's something different about it? Well, it does. So 2 Timothy 3 verse, 1, uh, 3, verse 16 to 17, it says this. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable or useful. Notice that word, all scripture. And I'll come back to that later, but it's easy for us to only read the parts of scripture or take in the parts of scripture that we like. And the ones that are more difficult or we don't want to apply to our lives, we kind of ignore those. But all scripture is, God, is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, that's um, uh, uh, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The man of God, there is anyone who is a Christ follower. The Bible says that. And what did Jesus say about scripture itself? Look at what he says here. Something so interesting. John 5 verse 39 to 40. He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. That this book somehow, if you read it and get it into your mind, you have eternal life. And look at what he says here. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. And so Jesus is saying that he isn't the Bible. God is not the Bible. But it is most definitely his word. And if we come to him through this word, we will experience him. So it says, every word is written from God, and Jesus himself said that every word points to God himself. And so friends, this book, or maybe what we're reading on an app, if you read uh, the Bible on your phone, it's truth, it's life, it's the instruction manual that unlocks the purpose for your life and for mine, in this lifetime and beyond the grave. It's the doorway into an encounter with God, it's timeless. It never gets old, it's new every time you read it. It isn't God himself, he's not the pages of our Bible, but he speaks to you in and through the Bible. 
He's called the word because he is the exact representation of what we see when we read scripture. It's about him, it's for him, it's through him. We read the Bible to know him, to know God himself. We don't read for any other reasons. We read so that we know and encounter the living God. We don't want to build our knowledge about him, but we want to know him. I'll share on that as well as we go a bit further. So there may be some of you here who are interested to know if we can actually prove that the words written in scripture are God's words. Can we prove that they are true? And some of you might say, well, of course I know that. Some of you might say, I don't. Well, here's a few things to guide us on our journey. And actually, some people who've been going through the Alpha course would have heard some bits of this last week. And as Dave said, if you're still wanting to explore faith, if you're still wanting to go deeper in your faith, there's still time to sign up. You can do that afterwards. An incredible course. So we're going to look at three things today. We're going to look at, are the words of Scripture true? Following on from that, we're going to look at how do we then read Scripture effectively? How do we read it properly and correctly? And then thirdly, what allows Scripture to bring transformation in our lives? What, what allows it to change us and what prevents Scripture from changing us? So firstly, are the words of Scripture true? Now, there's many different angles I could take on this. I'm going to just give you a few, but I hope that they're useful. I hope that they are informative. So firstly, how do we know it's true? Well, the reliability of historical manuscripts. I love these sorts of things, by the way. So you will see these come up when I, when I share because I, I love looking at these sorts of stats. So the way that historians, Christian historians and non-Christian historians, the way that they track what happened in history is often through written documents. Why? Because there weren't smartphones, there wasn't video, there weren't news stations around the world. So it was written and passed down from person to person helps us know what happened in the past. And I maintain, you'll see this as we go through, that we have to accept scripture as truth if we accept any other historical document as truth. That's what I maintain, and you'll see it as we go. So here's some examples. Alexander the Great, whose armies traveled 22,000 miles in their exploits, the proof of his life and what he achieved comes from five manuscript sources that are in existence today. Just five. And we believe Alexander the Great to be a real person. Julius Caesar, his life, his entire life was drawn from 10 manuscript copies. And no one is attempting to say that he was a soccer player, a butcher, a chariot racer. No one's attempting to do that. Everyone believes Julius Caesar and what he did. Homer's Iliad, widely known as the history of the Greeks. 640 manuscripts in existence. And they were written some 400 years after the events happened. It's a long time to pass, almost four generations before something was actually ever written about the Greeks. What about the history of Jesus Christ? We have some 24,000 manuscripts, 5,000 in Greek alone, handwritten in papyrus that exist today. One of the most amazing things is that historians, Christian and non-Christian, have tracked back the dating of these manuscripts to within 100 years of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. That means that the ones that we have in existence today, they were written when eyewitnesses were alive to what happened. There's no other historical document in history that has that kind of proof. And on top of that, there's no archaeological contradiction, big words for me, I've already told you English is tough, to anything written in the Bible to this date. Dr. Clark Pinnock, I love what he said, 
There exists no document from the ancient world witnessed by so excellent a set of historical witnesses. An honest person cannot dismiss a source of this kind. So that's the first point. There is so much historical documentation about the Christian faith and what happened that you have to throw out all of history if you will throw out what happened in scripture as well. First one. Second one, what about some proofs of the life, death, and resurrection of Christ? You see, if you believe this, it's easy to believe the rest of scripture. I find often we can get hung up on parts of scripture that don't really mean that much to your life and mine. Things like exactly how old the world is. Things like um, some of the events that came about on there. Did it exactly look like that? Was it pictorial? Was it historical? How did that work? We can get confused with many things, but... If we come to the conclusion that we believe Jesus lived, died, and rose again, it's really easy to believe the rest of Scripture was about him. And so, how do we come to that conclusion? Was he who he said he was? Well, there's huge evidence for the resurrection. There's an entire book on this. We're going to bring some in, but I would highly encourage you to watch the movie as well, The Case for Christ. Lee Strobel, he was lead editor of the Chicago Tribune, and he wasn't a Christ follower, and his goal was to disprove that Jesus died and rose again. And his life was turned around. He became a Christ follower as a result of the evidence. He was an investigative journalist. And so we're definitely gonna get his book in the case for Christ, but watch his movie. But here's just a few things, huge evidence for the resurrection. Dramatic eyewitness testimony. None of it being identical, which would assume forgery, but all tells the same story. Eyewitnesses. And as I said, much of the manuscripts that we have of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection was written during the time that eyewitnesses, believers and not, were still living. They would have easily discounted it, but they didn't. Why? Because of the truth in it. Execution was by public crucifixion, and the Romans were specialists at that. The Persians invented crucifixion. The Romans perfected it to create the greatest amount of pain for the longest period of time until death. Those guards ensured that people died. So we know that Jesus died as a result. There was a missing body. And we see this from Christ followers and not. The guards who guarded Jesus' tomb, they would have been killed for allowing somebody to escape from that tomb. The question of Jesus being in the tomb isn't in question. It's just what happened. Did it, the body get stolen? What happened? Well, those guards would have lost their lives for that if that was the case. Scripture also records the ugly truth that if you were telling a fairy tale or heroic story, I would personally leave out. For example, one of your key people in the story, Peter, denies Jesus three times. I wouldn't put that in if I was trying to be heroic. A Jewish man named Joseph of Arimathea, who buried Jesus, documented instead of his closest friends and family who fled the scene. You wouldn't put that in if you were trying to look good. Ladies being the first ones to discover the tomb. Do you know why you wouldn't put this in? Well, it's because a lady's testimony was not accepted in court in those times. They were not considered to be able to carry the truth as men did. That's how terrible society was then. Jesus changed it around. He honored women and he cared for women. But this is put down in scripture. Why would you put that down if it was a fairy tale? You wouldn't. One other I'll say is that our world's dating system, AD and BC, now changed to BCA, before the Christian era, uh, which uh, some don't enjoy so much. But BC and AD, why does that stand and why did it happen? Because this one carpenter 
had such a great impact in the world in which we live that that is where we date our world from. That's how we, we follow our dating system. So that's a bit on whether there's evidence for the resurrection. What about biblical prophecies? A prophetic word is something that someone says and it happens in the future. Not in a strange way, but it actually comes about very clearly. There are hundreds about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. I can't share them all, but here's just some written hundreds of years before it ever happened. Isaiah 7 verse 14 speaks about the virgin birth, someone being born from a virgin. Micah 5 verse 2 was that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem is the equivalent of saying he was going to be born in banquet or something more, more obscure than banquet, something like Bulawayo. Um, <laughs> So that's what it was like. It wasn't like saying he's going to be born in southern Africa. It was like saying this King Jesus will be born in something very tiny and very specific. Marandera. Um, we love people from Marandera. If you're from Marandera, we love you. Exactly. Yay. Well, except for Dan. Um, Joseph and Mary, that they would flee to Egypt to preserve the lives of themselves and Jesus, Hosea 11 verse 1. Jesus betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, an exact physical amount, Zechariah 11 verse 12. Precisely how Jesus would die, by crucifixion, before crucifixion was invented yet. Exactly where he would be pierced and how he would die, Psalm 22. Exactly how he would die and what it would entail, Isaiah 53. There's so much more that I could say, but those alone should give you great confidence if you're a Christ follower or not here today to really be able to trust these words in scripture. Two final quotes on the back of this. Some of the sharpest minds in history. Simon Greenleaf, 1783 to 1853, an incredible lawyer, one of the founding fathers of the Harvard Law School. He helped lay the foundations for state and federal rules of evidence in America. This is what he says. A person who rejects Christ may choose to say that I, do, that I do not accept it, but he may not choose to say there's not enough evidence. Say it once more. We can all hear and everyone in the world, we can all say, I don't accept Jesus is who he said he is, but we can't use the excuse that there's not enough evidence to believe it. It's a hard issue, not an intellectual issue. So Lionel Laku, I might have shared this Sirius is my favorite quote of all time. So I might have shared it. Consider one of the greatest lawyers in British history. He's recorded in the Guinness Book of Records even today as the world's most successful advocate. 245 consecutive murder acquittals, knighted twice by the Queen. Look what he says. I humbly add that I've spent more than 42 years as a defense trial lawyer appearing in many parts of the world and I'm still in active practice. This was when it was written. I've been fortunate to secure a number of successes in jury trials, quite humble of him, and I say unequivocally, the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so overwhelming that it compels acceptance by proof, which leaves absolutely no room for doubt. The final one I'll say, the person of Jesus himself and what he was like. I love this quote. You'll see that I love quotes from Christ followers. And it's a little bit of a long one, but I love it. C.S. Lewis, the one who wrote Chronicles of Narnia's, Narnia's, Narnia, which is coming to Netflix, by the way, pretty soon. And I hope they're going to do justice to it. This is what he says. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, 
but I don't accept his, his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. And so you must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. I love that passage. Would he have been a liar who knowingly went to his execution and then his followers did the same? I don't think so. Would he be a lunatic but his, his writings, particularly the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, still used today as the basis for many laws and foundations of states. Would he be a lunatic and be able to hold a crowd and share with them and be compassionate and caring? I don't think so. Or would he be Lord but he can't be a great moral teacher? And if he's Lord and King, that changes everything. So there's some about, can we trust that as truth? I think we can. Secondly, how can we read it effectively? The first thing I'd say is we begin reading it. If you're not reading scripture yet, it's not, if it's not part of your daily life, I wanna challenge you to just start. Start by reading one minute. Start by reading one verse. Just say, that's what I want to do. I would love that to be a new year resolution of mine is to just start reading the Bible every day. The length of time is not what's most important. It's actually reading it and getting into your heart each day that is. You know what you'll find? Your soul will start to crave more and more of his word. Why? Because it's life. And so when you start to read it, you start to experience a supernatural life that you cannot experience in any other way. And you'll start to want to read more and more. And suddenly one verse will become two. Two will become five. You want to read his word more and more. But start with what's manageable for you. Find a time that works for you. Preferably a place that you can be free from distractions. And there are going to be days when it doesn't happen and that's okay. Just keep working towards reading his word daily. And as I shared at the start of the year, it's always difficult to form habits. They take time until you've logged it into your brain and your routine. And so reading the Bible is no different. Don't expect it to happen by accident. Initially, there might be some strangeness of this routine. Might feel slightly awkward to you, but go for it. It'll become a normal part of your life. And we cannot make the excuse that we're too busy to read scripture. None of us can make that excuse. We will always make time for that which is most valuable to us. If you track out your days and your weeks, both your work life and beyond work, we will always make time for that which is most valuable to us. So I'd urge you to make time for this because time with Jesus is the most valuable use of our time. It will transform our lives. And if you're a wife here today and you have young kids, tell your husband that you need to spend 15 times to spend time with the Lord and for him to occupy the kids. If he's a Christ-following man, there is no man who will say no to that. But then be honest about it. So don't sort of so I just need 15 minutes of my own time. I really need to spend time with Jesus and then phew, social media and everything else. No, no, be honest about it. But there's no husband, and I'm telling men here today, if your wife says, I need some time to spend time with Jesus, look after those kids. It's the most valuable thing you can do as a husband. If we have time for Facebook, if we have time for WhatsApp, if we have time for gym, if we have time to watch TV, we have time to spend with Christ. It's the best use of our time. And remember, there's a spiritual battle involved. 
Satan doesn't want us to read God's word. So it's going to be difficult. He's going to put distractions. Remember it's a battle and say, actually, I, I want to win in this battle. We don't just follow Jesus and it's an easy road. In fact, Jesus promised it's going to be difficult. But there's a real enemy who wants to prevent us exploring and growing in our faith. So don't allow him to do that. Next one. Where should I start? Where should I start? It's so important that we see the Bible as a library of books, not a chronological book. I tried as a youngster to read through the Bible often. I started in Genesis. I got to Leviticus. Sometimes I made it past Leviticus, but usually not. And then I just started again. Why? Because I thought that's how you were supposed to read the Bible back to front. It's actually not. Sure, you can do that, but it's a library of books. Imagine 66 books on your bookshelf, and then you take different books that are written for different reasons. There's historical books, there's poetic books, there's biographical books, and they all are collected for us now, but they would have been individual letters in the past. That's how we need to see Scripture. But it does cover one unifying story, creation, the fall of man, the redemption that Jesus brought, and the restoration that's to come, and you see that flow through Scripture. So if someone asked me where to start reading, I would probably say the Gospels. That's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They are the biographies of Jesus' life. And as I said, Jesus is the central point of Scripture. So if you're wanting to know how do I start, Craig, with one verse a day, start with one of those. Probably Mark or Luke is the ones that I would go for. The simplest, the clearest, the ones that most show his life. Start with that and start small. What translation should I read? And I'm doing some practicals, but I think it's important that we cover this. There's so many great translations. Some are very literal and some are very pictorial and story um, orientated. So I would tend towards a Bible that gets you the closest that it can to the original text, but that we can understand it in English. There's nothing wrong with other translations, but you want to get one where when you're reading it, you know it's as close to the real understanding as it's there and so there's many and you can pick them up at the back i love the esv but there's the csb the nkjb the nasb there's the beauty of apps like you version can i this would be interesting just a show of hands who actually has the you version bible app i'd love to see just as an idea a lot awesome great if you don't have it easy to find either search on bible.com or you version amazing ways to go through the bible in a year different translations all in one app easy to download easy to use and great reading plans how can I ensure I understand it correctly? Because this is important. We can each read things into scripture that we want it to say to us. As I said, we can ignore certain parts or we can make certain things say things that they're not actually trying to say. Two big words, don't get scared. Exegesis and hermeneutics. Yes, they are scary. But as I said, don't, don't get scared by them. Exegesis, this means that we study scripture, but when we do it, we want to find the original intended meaning that the author meant as he wrote it. So when we read through Genesis, the author, what was the author trying to say? As we read through Luke, what was Luke trying to get across? What was he meaning as he wrote it? That's exegesis. And after you've done that, you move on to the next big word, hermeneutics. And hermeneutics is how do we apply what we've just read to us in 2023? Because it was different when it was written, cultures were different, but how do we take the truth the exegesis, and how do we translate it so that it applies to you and I now in 2023? And that's where we learn to apply it to our lives. If we don't do that properly, we'll read things into the passage that were never supposed to be there. We will make the Bible say what we want it to say. And then if we don't apply it to our lives, it'll be irrelevant. We won't live in a way that transforms life 
and culture. And so the last one, last thing before we close, what allows scripture to transform your life and mine? That's really it. We can know that it's truth. We can interpret it correctly. But if we don't allow it to go from here to here, there will never be a change in your life and mine. And so that's the challenge for each of us. How do we do that? If all of scripture is God breathed, how do we read it in such a way that it draws you and I closer to a relationship with the king? That if we don't know the king yet, we get to know him. And if we know him, we know him in greater depth. You see, we can know scripture to be true. We can read it effectively, but how do we allow it to transform our lives? How do we read it in such a way that we are changed by the presence and power of Jesus? Some helpful guidelines for you. This really challenged me as I read as well. Firstly, growth takes time. Everything takes time. If you wanna get fit, it takes time. If you wanna study for a course, it takes time to learn. If you wanna be a good parent, a good spouse, it takes time. Growing in reading scripture takes time. We're on a journey and it's a process. Ask for help if you need, but enjoy the growing process. Enjoy the learning process. That's the first one. Growth takes time. Next one, you don't need to have a theology degree to understand scripture. There's no men of God here. There's no people who can understand more than anyone else. If we have the Holy Spirit in us, we can read and we can understand because he helps us. So we don't have to be theologians or professors to encounter God in the Bible. It was written for everyone. It was written so that children can understand it, so that someone who's far from faith can understand it. Someone who's known God can learn from it. And so although studying may be helpful to each of us and making some things make sense, and we're gonna look at this maybe in 2023, there's an opportunity for us to partner with a university in America where people could actually, from Hope Church, could earn their masters in a year if you want to. We look at that. We want to help each other grow and masters in different areas at a really reduced cost as we partner with them. Why do we want to do that? Because it does help us, but it's not essential. But the Bible's not supposed to be complicated. We can all encounter God regardless of our academic ability. Last two before we pray. We need to read with a heart to know Jesus. You see, reading the Bible doesn't automatically make you and I like Christ only allowing God to transform our hearts, allowing him to change us, will make any difference as we read. You see, you can be an angry, unloving person and know the Bible back to front. Do you know that? You can be grumpy, you can be angry, you can be unloving and impatient, and you can know the Bible off by heart. Or you can know the Bible off by heart and you've been someone who emulates Christ to everyone around. The difference is the attitude and the place of our hearts. And so don't learn scripture for academic sake. Don't learn it to know more than other people. Learn it so that it changes your heart from the inside out. So how do we do that? Well, before you read, invite God into the moment. Doesn't matter if you've never really prayed before, but invite God into the moment. Ask God to speak to you. As you read, say, Lord Jesus, you're here. Would you speak to me? Maybe you've never even prayed out loud before. We'll do it by yourself. Jesus doesn't mind. And just say, Lord Jesus, would you speak to me as I read? Get excited to connect with the King of Kings, your heavenly Father. He says, go into a quiet place. Your heavenly Father knows and he's with you. That it wouldn't just be useful advice, additional knowledge, but that you would meet with the King as you read. And that's a prayer that Jesus loves to answer. So ask him as you read. Then finally, before we pray, 
read with a desire that God's word would shape your life, that he wouldn't just change your heart, but that it would transform your behaviors, it would transform our thinking, it would transform our attitudes, that it would change every aspect of us to make us more like Christ. That's not always easy because as we read, Jesus will show you and I places to change. He'll do it because he loves us that much. And the challenge is for us to either say, mm, nah, God, not this time. Or to say, okay, Lord, actually that is something. Please help me to change. So we've got to have soft hearts. We've got to have humility to say, Jesus, as I read, would you change me and would you show me areas of my life to a change? But if we allow him, he'll mold us into people he created us to be. A people who reflect him to the world in desperate need of a savior. I know there's many in this city, in Harare, who are in desperate need of Jesus. There are many who don't yet know the wonder of a savior who died for them. How are they gonna know? Well, it's from the way that we live. How are our business colleagues gonna know? The way that we live. How are our families and extended families gonna know? The way that we live. I can tell you, if we allow Jesus to transform us so that our lives look different, the words that we say, the attitudes of our heart, our behaviors, people will start to ask questions. And so allow Jesus to change you and I. If we wanna give a true and beautiful example of what Jesus is like, and what it means to follow him wholeheartedly, we must let him change us. And so today, if you know God here today, will you make his word a priority? Will you believe it's true? Will you read it effectively? Will you allow it to transform every aspect of your life? It's worth every sacrifice, and we're here as a church team to help you in every way. And if you don't yet know God here today, and I say yet, because I know that he's after you. That's how good the Holy Spirit is. He draws us and he challenges us. If you don't yet know God here today, can I challenge you to keep exploring? Can I challenge you to read, maybe if you've never read the Bible before? Can I challenge you to ask questions, to think about what scripture says? Keep exploring, keep searching. There's a Bible passage that says, you will find me if you seek me with all of your heart. And so if you seek God with an open mind, with an open heart, his promise to you is if you seek for me, you will find me. What a great promise. Jesus says there at the end in that verse, uh, we're at the start, he says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them, in this, these pages, you find eternal life. But actually they bear witness about me, Jesus. And then I love this. You refuse to come to me that you may have life. Jesus and his word bring life. Abundant life, fulfilling life, purposeful life. Life now and life beyond the grave. Don't settle for counterfeits. Don't settle for second best. Go after true life and he will fulfill it. Should we stand and pray together? Oh, Holy Spirit, thank you that you're here. Would you right now, as we just wait for a few moments before you, would you speak to us in your loving way as a father, as a close friend? Would you challenge us where we need to be challenged? Maybe for some of you, you can't remember the last time you looked at a Bible passage. And right now, a good father, your heavenly father is saying, it's time. Just start with one verse. Start in one minute a day. Start by listening on your drive to work. But just start. If you're exploring faith today, 
I think Jesus would say the same too. He would say, come before me and say, God, if you exist, if you're there, speak to me as I read. You'll find life. Father, I pray that we would be a people who grow in our reading of your word and grow in our reading of it properly and effectively. I pray that we wouldn't ignore parts of scripture that are difficult or we don't want to apply to us. We take it all as your word and that we would allow it to move from our heads to our hearts. Holy Spirit, as we read even this week, some of us starting to read for the first time, as we read this week, would you transform us? Would you change us little bit by little bit, step by step, our actions, our behaviors, our thoughts, our speech, the focus that we have on family, the focus that we have on money, the focus we have on our bodies. Jesus, would you transform it? And would you give us what you think about life? Would we start to look so different as Hope Family here today that we would have many friends, family, and colleagues saying, I can't put my finger on it, but there is something different. Would you tell me what's so different? If you're exploring faith today, Jesus said, I come to give you life and life to the full. He said, if you call on my name, you'll be saved from sin and have life now and beyond the grave. Right now in your heart, you can say, Lord Jesus, I believe. I believe you're true. I want to follow you. Would you change me? And in this moment, he changes you. You start a new relationship as a friend of God. So Father, as we head out from here, would we allow this wonderful, powerful, beautiful, life-changing book to change our hearts, our desires, our lives as we invite you to speak to us through your word. Your name we pray. Amen. Amen.